and welcome to another episode of the Carolyn Glick Middle East News Hour. I'm joined, as per usual, by my co-host, Gotti Tab. Hey, Gotti. Hi. How are you in these depressing times? Well, I'm depressed and not sleeping well at nights, but aside from that, everything's great. Uh, do, do, do you, you want to talk about do what's happening? You, you do to wake up and say, Naftali Bennett, Prime Minister of Israel. Ah! That happens to me no, at night. No, actually, the problem is, is that uh, I... I, I uh, I think about it before I'm trying to fall asleep and then I can't fall asleep because the the whole the whole situation is like just living inside of a of a horror movie that you don't know how you ever entered it's, into it it's, and, it's, and you can't I don't, and you can't get out. I don't think there is a precedent to that in democracy that someone with 5% um uh, uh support in the population which has now evaporated because he betrayed them so he has 1% support maybe which is as Irit Linur the, this witty commentator said, which is exactly like Bashar al-Assad, only the reverse. He has 1% support in the population, or uh, we can say he has less dwarfs than Snow White, and he is and he is our prime minister. That's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. The system is so broken that this can happen. It's just, it's just it's, broken. It's broken, but it's not just that. I and mean, we also have to remember that he's not really prime minister. So the whole thing is is a joke you know it's like it's like they tell us this joke which is bad enough which is that a guy who has absolutely no public support is now our dear leader um but then it works out that he actually doesn't have any power and the real dear leader is the guy behind the curtain and that's uh your lapid and more to the point you know that's uh uh, the head of the uh, of the media party that, as they say, you know, the all of the all of the uh, people in the media who have been demonizing Netanyahu for the past 25 years. And that's the owner of Israel's uh, uh, major newspaper, Yidiot Achronot, a man named Noni Moses. And, you know, he's very much involved in this. And the other person who's really in charge of this government is uh, is Esther Chayut, the president of the Supreme Court and Avichai Mandelblit, the attorney general. But uh, you know that's that's already uh, uh, getting ahead of ourselves and our and our audience. I know you're like, what are you talking about, Carolyn? What are you talking about, Gotti? We don't understand. But Israel sounds like a really messed up place. And and basically, at least at the outset of our discussion, all we can do is say, Israel, you have no idea how messed up this place is, because we have a prime minister with who was elected by five percent of the electorate, um, and the vast majority of that five percent hates him now. Um, but more to the point, it's even funnier because he got seven members of Knesset in, including himself in his little tiny party, Yamina, which is an ideologically right-wing party that's Yamina as in to the right of Likud. So all of these people are like hardcore right-wingers. Um, and of the seven, only one of them, Amichai Shikli, who's an awesome guy, uh, was willing to say, wait a minute, I'm not willing to betray what I've been saying and what I stand for and what I believe in and what I ran on, thinking that I was part of a right-wing party, and so I'm not joining your government. So he actually only has six members uh, of including Knesset, himself. including himself, who are with him, okay? And so what they're doing now is that they passed this law. Uh, it's called the Norwegian law after, you know, the uh, the great democracy of Norway, which allows uh, ministers in a government, in a parliamentary democracy, to uh, resign from parliament and then be replaced by the next people on the list, uh, their party list for office. And so what, what Naftali is now engaging in, because he wants all of his ministers to be able to resign so that they can devote themselves full time to their important jobs in his 
important government um, and highly competent government is that half the people on his list don't want to be a member of his coalition. So, you know, through some extraordinary means of persuasion or another, and, you know, we can only imagine what's involved here, uh, all of the people who oppose his government are resigning to make room for people who support his government. I wouldn't want to characterize the conversations that they're having with uh, Naftali, but um, you can. Um, yeah, we don't know who really is resisting and who isn't, although it seems that the next, the next uh, person on the list, uh, Maimon, is resisting. But 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 they made a no no no. A, he announced that he was resigning. Resigning, from the but but he did he did not he he uh, does not agree to the move to the to the left. Yeah, but that doesn't matter. By he, resigning, he's not the first. He did the exact same. Th- he he just strengthened the he just strengthened the oh, government. What was the who we, was the first to do that? It was the mayor of it was of Sterot. Sterot. Uh, Alon Davidi. So he was the f- that, and then we knew that Naftali was heading for the for the left and not the right. And these people are just abdicating their their moral and political duty by, yep. by, by uh, as we say in Hebrew, by what, what would you say in English? Yes. It's, but, we're, just, we're just keeping our hands uh, clean. Of course, you're not, because by resigning, you're just as culpable for what happens as the person who supports it. But supposedly, it, not, it, it, were, it wasn't your hand that, that held the... Yeah, that got dirty. It's like it's like it's like murder for hire. You know, you're, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to pay you to do it. So I'm not responsible for the, you know the person that you're killing. Like for instance, Israeli democracy. But they had, but they they made a whole show in order to to lessen the pressure on them. Uh, two members of the the list that are now in parliament in the Knesset made a whole show of how they have. Uh, uh, stomach aches on how their conscience is uh, they're, they're liberating they're th- they can't do it they're thinking they uh, uh, and it was all a show it was all a show oh, and we knew it was entirely. a show because because Ayala Chaked uh, who who at one point many believed would head she's the Naftali, right she's Naftali she's she's Naftali's female doppelganger right I mean mm-hmm. they basically just go together all over the place and pretend that they're separate entities yeah. but they're really just two two heads on the same monster where she gets to be the one with the morals and he's the bulldozer moving ahead, but they're both working hand in glove. But, but what she did is she she leaked to her friends in the press that she might be yes. stopping this move in order to lessen the pressure on Naftali so he can go on with it. And as some commentators observed, she said it only off the record all the time. Mm-hmm. So she has these minions in the press who are, uh, who are supposedly uh, um, objective journalists who, who, who became her defendant lo- de- defense lawyers uh, in the public eye. And it's just, and the lies are just so blatant that I don't know how they, it's just, I think something happened with and I think this is partly the media, and it's part, and it started in America. The media t- has given itself a license to lie in the age of Trump. That's what happened to the American media, and ours is following suit. Although there was always this n- never BB uh, um, tendency, it 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 just becoming more and more blatant, in which it is clear to the journalists that their mission is to change their government and that reporting news is just a means. And so they don't, if, if the aim is not reporting, then re, if reporting becomes subordinate to a political 
agenda, then at one point you give yourself a license to lie, which is what's going on here. Well, you know, I, I, I think that it actually happened under Obama. I mean, remember, we had uh, yeah. Ben Rhodes, uh, Obama's deputy uh, national security advisor, bragging uh, that he created an echo chamber of the media. And you know, he talked about the way that he manipulated the media and he used all of these NGOs, which were all straw organizations that are all propaganda organizations for the Iran nuclear deal and posing as experts on the issue and then uh, giving it to these reporters in Washington who he said are all 27 year olds who know absolutely nothing. Right. And so they were they were doing this. But these 27 year olds who knew absolutely nothing knew that they liked Obama and that they wanted to do anything they possibly could to allow, you know, St. Obama to move forward with his crusade to realign American uh, Middle East policy away from Israel and the Sunni Arab states and towards Iran and the Muslim Brotherhood, you know, the two most uh, the two most prominent uh, supporters and engines of terrorism on the face of the planet. So they all thought that was great because Obama was doing it and Obama is, uh, you know, all knowing and and wonderful and sweetness and light and all things and a saint. So, you know, they were they were very willing to go forward with this. And the demonization of Trump, I think, was less, even though everybody says, oh, it's all his fault, his terrible Serbic personality, he's uh, such a flamboyant uh, person, he's crazy, he's this, he's that, he's the other. You know, it wouldn't have mattered. Trump, because of that personality, was able to beat Hillary Clinton. And I think that they took it as, a crime against humanity that he dared to interrupt their party. And so that was when they sort of lost their mind, but they lost their journalistic scruples. They lost their professional ethics and destroyed the profession of journalism during Obama's administration. And the Israeli media has always been the, you know, me too, I'm with you, you know, because they want so badly to be loved by CNN and all of these really anti-Israel also reporters and editors. They yeah, gush but, but over. you know, Gar, I, I still think that although you're, you're right that it started under Obama, it still Trump was a turning point and, and the Russia hoax, the, 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 the crossfire hurricane investigation was for me, it, because I argued about this here and I, and, and, and I saw the power of delegitimization delegitimization that that you know they brand you with conspiracy theory they sell you the most blatant lies and yep. then if you and 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 it's and it's a herd and and what i noticed is that under obama they still had a pretense of attachment to truth but when you but when you look at what happened to the new york times after the Mueller report there was a town hall with Dean, oh, I forget his name, the, the editor of the... Yeah, the, the editor, Dean Banquet. Bouquet, Bouquet, Bouquet. Banquet, 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 whatever the hell his and, name is. And anyway, is, you know, he said, we, we, we found ourselves slightly flat-footed, he said, after this thing collapsed, and we need to move to something else, which is to report differently about race. And this is when they inaugurated the 1619 Project, which is an absolute lie. Which is right. which is a complete manipulation of this. It has some facts to be sure, but it's an attempt to reconfigure the narrative about America without letting the facts disturb you. So, so I think that we are at this stage now uh, here too, and that the and that the BBK. The, we'll talk about them later. The BB. Uh, no, why don't we talk about it now? Because we're talking. Sure. Because I think it's really important. I mean, this is our crossfire hurricane, about, right? This is what's happening. Right. Here. We're we're talking about, but just to sort of put it in context, we're talking about the fact 
that we have this government, right, that is based entirely on lies. Last year, last week, we discussed the postmodernism at the base of, of this government, that there's no context, that there's no past, there's no future. It's just whatever they say the truth is at any moment. It's their narrative. And by the way, their narrative is right because they're professionals and they know and they're responsible adults. And anybody who disagrees with them is an extremist and a fascist and a BBist, BBist which is what they call people who are members of a of a cult of of Bibi and all of the rest of it. So we're 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 demonized in Israel just like the the tea baggers. Remember they called them the tea baggers, and then the I think they call them the Trumpsters or whatever. It's the same kind of demonization. But um, none of this would be possible. This postmodern anti-democratic government, which by the way just suspended the operation of Knesset until they can figure out how to do it and do their job of ruling us at the same time. Did you know that they put out a, a decision that nobody's allowed to submit bills to the Knesset for the next month because they just don't have the manpower to handle them? So they have just canceled democracy for the next month. That's what they did. You know, first they stole our votes. Right? They formed a government. That you know, in 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 uh, in, uh, in the face of a clear mandate for the right, they formed a, a left wing government, and we're going to talk about some of the things that they're going to start adopting very quickly right after we talk about this. But none of this would have been possible if they hadn't first uh, produced a legal fiction, right? The the case against Netanyahu that had enabled everybody to demonize him. And we had these mass rallies outside of the prime minister's residence for over the past year throughout the pandemic of these crazed, lunatic, hate-drenched uh, uh, left-wingers who like, you know, the, and, and by the way, it was paid for by millions and millions of dollars were invested in the crime minister uh, anti-Netanyahu demonstrations where they were inciting for the murder of the prime minister and his family members. And they were doing all of this with the enthusiastic support and positive coverage of the media and of the legal fraternity that enabled them at the height of a pandemic when everybody was in closure for them to break closure regulations in the middle of major waves of coronavirus in Israel to uh, have mass uh, mass demonstrations against the prime minister of Israel because they called him the crime minister because he had been indicted. So now the trial is progressing, and Gotti, you just uh, had a had your own webcast or your own podcast about this. So why don't you tell us what's going on in Bibi's trial? Yeah. So so the the first thing to say is we're dealing with three cases, and we're not talking about the the the, the single one that is serious. That is an, in, an indictment uh, uh, on the bribery. Bribery. Um. And and first of all, the the, the bribery accusation here is itself a world precedent because the, the 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 bribe deal here they claim is that Netanyahu gave regulatory uh, license to a very big telecommunication um, firm held by one of his friends and allies in return for positive coverage in one of the websites owned by by this uh, corporation, and 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 it's amazing because this this website was extremely hostile to Netanyahu. So 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 it started with everyone saying that he got positive coverage, but then it clearly wasn't the case. So they in the indictment, what appear actually is Hanut Chariga, uh, unusual responsiveness to Netanyahu's demands 
for positive coverage. And then they submitted this, and, and it's, a, it's ridiculous on all counts because first of all, what, what the regulatory license was given by all the bureaucrats and only after that did Netanyahu sign it as a formality. So he was a rubber stamp. So he was a rubber stamp on this and, he, and, and, and clearly they deserved the clearance. There was no problem there. So it, the whole thing stinks because if, this, if it's a license they should have gotten anyway, so why would they pay anything for it? And then... But it's not just that, but one thing you have to point out is that Israel's bribery statute in our criminal code does not have it's a it's a it's a closed list of things right that can be considered bribes and positive coverage in the in a newspaper or in a media website is not one of them so the basic claim that he received bribes by allegedly receiving uh uh, positive coverage from this website, Walla, it's called, and it's actually a very minor website. Nobody actually reads it, but whatever. That's that's not neither here nor there. Even if it were the largest website in Israel, it wouldn't matter because under Israeli statute, just like as is the case in every single democracy on earth, right? Bribery or receiving positive coverage is not covered by the statute. So the alleged ex- bribe that he received is not a bribe. But be that as it may, they said they're making an exception. This is going to be a precedent-setting case. It's also illegal, right? Because you can't you can't actually do that. But let's pretend that that isn't the, or that's just a little problem, which of course it isn't. And then we can move on, on to on you know, what, a- what's happening now in the trial, right? Because so, uh, the trial- who on earth makes a legal precedent in a trial of a prime minister that you're trying to remove from power? This is outrageous. Israel's incredibly it's corrupt. A, uh, legal fraternity does. That's yeah, does. yeah. So the uh, the other side of this is is uh, a unusual responsiveness to Netanyahu's demands. Now, outrageously, mm-hmm. after this, the whole it's it's worth getting into another time because because the attorney general and the police have done multiple fouls, crimes even, in this investigation, which was opened without the proper procedure. And, and, and it's just un- unbelievable. And, and, and now it came to court and, and, the, and the judge, one of the judges, Oded Shacham, said um, to, the, to the prosecution, he said, well, you're claiming that, is, that, that there's a forest, but you're not showing us any of the trees which is to say, where was this unusual responsiveness? What are the actual evidence? You're just saying this. So the, the attorney general went back to work and produced a list of 315 cases of unusual responsiveness. So what happened is, this is, this is a lot to check because now you have to, you have to make many comparisons in order to verify this. And Netanyahu has a legal team, but it's it's limited. So there is the, the people I interviewed on my podcast are a group of volunteers who call themselves the 315 Project. And they went to check each of the trees comprising this forest. And it's just unbelievable what they found. In many of the cases, there was no responsiveness at all. There was a request that was just not answered. And they're in the list. So that that's out. In many other cases, they found that what appeared on Walla appeared everything else, everywhere else, and every the rest other. of the media outlets. So that's obviously not unusual responsiveness. And then they discovered, and this is the most outrageous because it's, it, you know, it, it, if you'd write it in a comedy, you'd say, ah, no, come on, don't, don't be ridiculous. 
It turns out that they didn't compare it to the people of Walla, their responsiveness to other politicians, which, which when you do, it's not at all unusual. But they don't have a benchmark to compare what unusual is because they're not, they don't know what the usual is. So the whole thing is just so completely and utterly ridiculous that had we had real journalism in the media, in, in, which we don't, real investigative journalism, in real commentary, people would be screaming bloody murder and say, cancel this trial. It's a, it's a travesty. It's a joke. But no. We have, and just we, to give one example, because you probably know it too, but uh, no, I was going uh, to say so, that the, the the most slanderous thing that if you want, want to imagine what the coverage of the Netanyahu trial is in the Israeli media, television, press, and and internet, then think of the New York Times and Washington Post covering the uh, Mueller investigation and the, the uh, Crossfire Hurricane. That's how objective and honest it is. And just to give a sense of how absurd the allegation that he received a positive coverage. So one of the examples that is in the 300, the list of 315 is that uh, um, the government, I mean, the prime minister's office requested that they change uh, a headline or something that they said was not not supportive of the prime minister. So they looked into what that headline was and what it was that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu said he was, it was right like two days before the 2015 elections. He was touring the neighborhood of Har Choma, which is a neighborhood in southern Jerusalem that uh, was established during his first, his first uh, tenure as premier in 1997, okay? And Netanyahu got into a huge fight with Tony Blair, who was then the Prime Minister of, of Great Britain, uh, because the British were trying to block the uh, building of this new uh, neighborhood in, in Jerusalem. And um, and anyway, so he uh, he was at the site uh, before the elections in 2015. And he said, uh, you know, I approved this neighbor. I approved the building of this neighborhood in 1979. I mean, 1997. OK. And so they had this headline in Walla that said Netanyahu confused again. Right. He says 1979 when it was really 1997. And, you know, he he like immediately had corrected himself. He said 1979, I mean, 97. But they didn't say that. They said he was confused and he couldn't remember what year he was talking about. And it was just that he had misspoken. And what was even funnier that the guy on, on who was reporting this from the trial yesterday said on Channel 20 was, that ahead of those same elections, Bougie Herzog, uh, who was his, who was running against Netanyahu as head of the Labour Party, gave an interview on channel on on the main television channel, Channel Twelve now, and Channel Two then, and he said that he would uh, protect. Uh, he he misspoke. He wanted to say that I'm going to keep Jerusalem united. And instead of saying Jerusalem, he said, I'm going to keep Netanyahu united. Okay. And it was this big flub and everybody saw it. It was on primetime news, right? That he said he was going to keep Netanyahu united instead of Jerusalem. He looked like a complete idiot and it probably cost him some support among the public. So Walla, this, this uh, website, uh, changed what he said in their headline. They said, Bougie Herzog said he's going to keep 
Jerusalem united, totally ignored that he had misspoken, gave him the benefit of the doubt, wanted to make him look smart and not stupid. So Netanyahu made this mistake and immediately corrected it. And they pretended that he was anyway. So this, the fact that they ended up correcting the headline, you know, there's a distorted slanted headline that they had first published after Netanyahu's office asked them to, this is now in the indictment right as a as proof that netanyahu was receiving positive coverage uh from luwala in exchange for regulatory uh favors this is just how ridiculous the case is and you said that this is the first of three indictments that are now being tried but just to be clear right this is the only one where he's being charged with serious crimes with felony crimes the rest of them are you know, breach of trust or whatever, which are much more minor, and nobody would ever consider having a, a, a prime minister. In fact, Naftali Bennett said at the time, you don't remove a prime minister for accepting uh, uh, champagne as a gift from his friends and champagne and cigars. Remember that? Because that's what one of the other things is about, that he accepted too many uh, cigars and bottles of champagne from a friend of his. And so for that, he was supposed to be ousted as prime minister. So this entire thing now that it's being adjudicated, is falling apart. And the reason, I think, is because they were using the legal proceedings against Netanyahu as a, in the hopes that it would force him to resign, that he would try to cut a plea bargain, that he would make a deal with them, that he would resign in order to avoid all of this. And Netanyahu said, you know what, screw you. I'm not resigning. Let's go forward with this. Let's let, let, let's let this go on. Astonishingly, problem- astonishingly, some veteran of the attorney general's office uh, asked on a, on a radio interview when asked about before the indictments were submitted, asked what the indictments would be. And she said, like uh, in an mo- unguarded moment, she said, uh, it depends if Netanyahu will resign or not. If he doesn't resign, it will probably be bribery. <laughs> so they're going to fit the seriousness of the indictment to the end that they're pursuing, which is getting rid the per- of Netanyahu. Political end, that yeah, the the yeah. political end that they're pursuing. And so... This whole thing, just to be clear, I mean, exactly like, you know, uh, there are a lot of many, there are many, many things that are different about the way, about what happened to Trump in 2020 and and throughout his term in office and the way that his his supports were treated and the way that and what's been going on with Netanyahu largely because our systems are very different. But the use of the legal the legal system the justice department in the in the case of the united states and the fisa court and the and the state prosecution here uh as a means to delegitimize a politician and to and to set the course for his removal from office based upon nothing these are very very uh, clear and and startling uh, similarity or striking similarities as is the media echo chamber that has been, you know, a like a central actor in all of this. Because you're saying if the media were doing its job, but the truth is that, of course, there are independent journalists and even my newspaper, Israel Ayom, that has done a fairly good job covering just how obscene this entire thing is throughout. So what do they do? They never quote anything that's that's uh, they, meaning the media establishment, the the broadcast news, the radio, the other newspapers, they will never actually follow up on a story that is exculpatory or supportive of Netanyahu or, <clears throat> Netanyahu or critical of the legal fraternity that ha- has been 
persecuting him and and uh, engaging in in abusive behavior and illegal behavior because the other thing that's so startling about this trial is that you see just how many laws the uh, state prosecution broke uh, on the road to indicting Netanyahu. I mean, all of the laws of procedure, all of the laws of dis- of, of uh, disclosure, all of the due diligence that they were supposed to do in in vetting witnesses and in in, in uh, vetting evidence and going over evidence. Like you said, you know, they denied the defense the right to see what the claims were about Netanyahu in the context of of the of their witnesses overall behavior so that they couldn't even form an uh, an adequate defense the only reason that they've gotten as far as they have is because these the, the state prosecution is so incompetent that they um that they accidentally gave them information that they should have had by law but that actually showed that the that gave away the entire you know the entire game and showed what they were doing there, there have been in multiple issues around this uh, trial and indictment where the where the prosecution is not just not just violated the law but also tried deliberately to prevent as, as allegedly deliberately to prevent from the uh, defense the information that it needed and much of this information obtained this would have never pa- passed muster in an American court because we don't have a a tradition of of uh, Dis- disposing of the fruits of a poison tree. We don't have. We we don't. So so information that the the attorney general got illegally is still introduced in the is still introduced to to court. This would have been by American standards. This would have been thrown out of court long 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 ago. But the thing is, Israel also is very intimate, and this fraternity, these people, most of the judges have served under the attorney general before so it's it's a it's a system where it's where as as you said a fraternity it's they're they're just a a cohesive social group and the one reason i think that even though it's clear now that the case is disintegrating they would still convict him i i hope i'm wrong but you know i think you're right because it's a three-judge panel and the judges were chosen by the Supreme Court uh, president, Esther Hayut. And of the three, the one that you mentioned, Oded Chacham, is the one that's considered to be open to information. And the other two um, are uh, based upon what people around them said about them and also about what we know about previous statements that the chief justice herself made about Netanyahu. It's fairly clear that they don't care what the evidence and, is, and she controls their pro- she anything. controls her their promotion. You need to remember that she controls their promotions as judges. The Supreme Court president, the, yes, the, the whole system is is a hierarchic system, and and, and so even people you know of of the left, but are very honest people like uh, Professor Ruth Gavison, God rest her soul, she was a friend and a very honest jurist. She received the Israel Prize said on Facebook that she doesn't believe that that Netanyahu has a chance to get a fair trial and i think that if he if they if they in the end if they um uh, exonerate him what this means is for the whole legal system it, the whole legal system put all its reputation on this case it's it's collapsing now because the even the judges who are 
part of the same fraternity have been reprimanding them. What is this thing? What this thing I quoted that Oded Shacham said, that Judge Oded Shacham said, that you're presenting a forest without trees? I'll translate for you. You're presenting a case because we say so without evidence. This is, and, and these people have been, I don't know how many millions of dollars, shekels they've invested in this, and the 25 brightest lawyers in the attorney general's office, and this is, this is the sloppy, unbelievably, um, what do you say, it's full of holes like, it's, like it's Swiss cheese. And, and this is the work that they did for know, three years now, they sat on this, it's just, it's just mind-boggling, and if the judges just throw it out, then this means, in, in terms of the reputation of the Attorney General, it will be horrendous. But I think the whole thing is going to be horrendous for them, because as El Segal, the, my, my friend and you know, great journalist here, uh, uh, investigative journalist, has said, you know, they have been, the Attorney General have been the pre Praetorian Guard of the left in government here for many, many years. But they did enjoy a professional reputation. And then Erel Segal said, this, this, this is going to be their undoing. Because he said, when you try to hunt down Moby Dick, your ship also sinks. And this is what I think we're seeing here. They've tried to hunt Moby Dick because Netanyahu is not the material of other marginal ministers. And he also enjoys huge public support. So when Olmert was removed from office by these people... And it turned out rightly, although it started politically. I'm sure it started politically. But when he was re when he resigned, he had absolutely no support from the public. No. And Netanyahu, think of this: four rounds of elections, and about half the population votes to, if not directly to Netanyahu, to a coalition that Netanyahu is supposed to lead. So although he has three indictments hanging over his head. The, the, uh, half the public does not believe that he's corrupt. They don't believe this. They, they think this is political persecution. So I think that having said that, you know, and going back to politics, actual elective politics, as opposed to politics as practiced in Israel, which gives basically control over the political system to non-elected officials uh, and the media, um, I think we should talk about this unelected government that we have, this unelected prime minister that we have, this unsupported prime minister that we have, Naftali Bennett, and the people who are actually controlling him. And I mentioned, too, I said the media, specifically the uh, publisher of Video Dachronot, which uh, you guys can't really understand it, but just, I mean, it's sort of, he's, I wouldn't even know what to compare him to in the United States. I mean, it's sort of like the, uh, uh, he, he, you know, um, there was an, a book written about the American media. I don't know who it wrote it. Uh, Marvin, not Marvin Kalb. I have it here somewhere. But um, they, he was explaining that um, what is written in the New York Times every day become, becomes the uh, headlines or the top stories in the primetime news uh, on all the networks so that they read the times and based on that, they put together their lineup of stories for their major national broadcasts in the evening. And, um, it's the same thing with Yediot Achronot. Yediot Achronot is a tabloid paper, but he also owns uh, shares in the uh, in the television uh, channel, uh, the largest tele television channel in Israel. And basically, even though it's a, it's a terrible newspaper, it's totally distorted. It's, 
uh, impossibly biased against the right and towards the left and all the rest of it. I haven't read it in years. I simply can't look at it anymore. But um, it sets the agenda. So my paper, Israel Hayom, is the largest circulation paper in Israel, and it's also a good paper. Uh, but it doesn't set the agenda because the media ignores it. Anyway, so no, I said uh, Noni Moses, the publisher, uh, he's one of them. But inside of the government itself, and this is something that people don't understand. I wrote about it in my article in Newsweek that's going to be coming out later this week. You know, you have a lot of pro-Israel Americans, uh, American Jews, American non-Jews, just who support Israel, who look at this government and say, well, you know, Carolyn, why are you hyperventilating? Gadi, what's your problem? You know, why can't you sleep at night? After all, Neftali Bennett is a man of the right. You know, as Carolyn said, right, she ran with him for Knesset two years ago because, you know, the platform, uh, I wrote most of it. You know what I mean? It like it reflected very much my positions as as somebody uh, who has is, you know, very clearly uh, uh, a conviction type of girl. You know, that's what I that's what I care about. And so there was nothing in the platform that I or very little in the platform, put it that way, that I wouldn't have signed on my name, you know, with no problem. And certainly the things that I didn't completely agree with were not voting issues for me. Um, and yet, uh, so if this is the guy, if this is what he was running on, what are you concerned about Israel as a right wing prime minister? Why is the right in mourning? Why is the left celebrating? And the answer is, aside from the fact that he's shown us just how, you know, not even skin deep his convictions are, um, like he's ex he's exfoliated his con you know his convictions you know as he's become prime minister, um, he doesn't actually have any real power. They claim that this is a government that has parity between the left and the right, that no decisions can be made in the government without both sides agreeing to it. Um, but there are a lot of things here that are not true, and and all you have to do is look at the at at uh, the the numerical uh, breakdown of the coalition. And what you find is that you have ostensibly 20% of the coalition are comprised of members of right-wing parties. So uh, Yamina, uh, Naftali Bennett's faction, which has six seats because Mikhail Shikli is still holding out and not joining the government. And Tikva Chadashah, New Hope, that's the... Uh, the disgruntled former Likud minister Gidon Sars breakaway party from the Likud that's uh that's uh you know comprised of angry former Likud members uh and driven entirely by their hatred of Netanyahu. So they they are ostensibly on the right and they make up 20% of this 61 uh seat government. Then you have 75% of the members of this of this go governing coalition are in parties on the left, and I include, by the way, Israel Beitenu in this because they are a left-wing party no matter what they say on all issues. Uh, so it's Israel Beitenu, it's Blue and White, it's uh, and it's uh, Yesh Atid that present themselves as center-left parties, and then you have the radical-left parties, the Labor Party under Merav Michaeli and the Meretz Party. And then the last 5% of this coalition is an Arab Islamic party called uh, Ram or the United Arab List. And uh, so what that means is that 80% of the members of this coalition are on the left or Islamists. All right. And so the idea that you have parity between the two sides is a joke. You have 20% 
right-wingers in a left-wing and radical left-wing government. And the person who's responsible for those 80%, and actually you could include really a Gideon Sars party in this too, so 90% of the members of this coalition, is foreign minister and alternate prime minister Yair Lapid. And so Yair Lapid really has, he's going to be taking over if this government survives as prime minister in two years under their agreement. Uh, Naftali will rotate out and become interior minister, I think. And so this is this is the deal. And the idea that because Naftali is a man of the right, the right doesn't have anything to worry about, it's, it, it, it just it, it fails to take into account just the simple math uh, related to this government. And that also brings you to another aspect of it, which is that you know you don't need to bring most policies to the government for approval. You know, ministers have control over their ministries ostensibly. and uh, not, and the vast majority of the work of government is not does not require any votes. But in the event that they require it and the and the votes are going to sort of be weighted to give uh, the 20 uh, percent of the government that's right wing um, equal say in things, all that means is that some of the more radical proposals by the left can be blocked when they get to a level that requires cabinet support. And by the way, all such initiatives by the 20 percent of right wingers can also be blocked. So the best situation that you can hope for in this government is paralysis. But actually, the policies that are going to be advanced are very, very far to the left. Because there's no such thing as paralysis. So what you will see is horse trading. So there will be deals when they say, we're talking about the appointment of judges, that that the right will get to appoint a one judge for every four the left gets to a point because because things will have to move because government would have to work because judges would need to be appointed and this is true of everything there was there's there's this one guy he's not he's a he's a twitterati and he belongs to the twitterati class um barack Cohen, a very vulgar leftist and and yesterday it's well a, he's it's also a, a bully i mean he goes yeah, to yeah, people's oh, houses yeah, yeah. and he's, he's oh, a thug and, he bullies them and, and he bullies and, and he interrupts broadcasts of of right-wing um, uh, radio and television hosts. But he tweeted yesterday, Ayelet Shaked tweeted something that she will she will uh, move to... Um, uh, um, deport. Deport the illegal immigrants from Africa uh, that, that have been an, an issue here um, in, 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 in Israel. And, the, and, and she, it was one of her causes. And, and so he tweeted, it's a shame we can't bring this spice of the original Hebrew vulgarity. But what he said is, goes something like this. Ayelet sweetie, I saw that you tweeted something about deporting the, uh, the, the asylum seekers, which right. are not, they're not, they don't need a, it's, it's, it's a leftist. They're illegal aliens. Euphemism. They're illegal yeah. aliens, right. Uh, so I wanted to tell you, he says, that we have enough fingers in the government in order to return you to the, to the dark racist corner, dark racist deplorable corner from which you came. Tanuchi neshama, Carolyn. How would you translate yeah, you that? Tanuchi neshama. Oh, you sweetie, sweetie, just relax. Yeah, yeah, just relax, relax sweetie. sweetie. So, so something. Someone tweeted back. Uh, I, we don't understand. Yesterday, you cheered her for joining the coalition, and he says, "Yeah, we celebrated the moment in which the idiotic fascist had turned into our puppet 
for it for a seat near the government table. So this is taking place on Twitter before the government is even formulated, which means they they will take like look the Naftali and Ayelet and, and all this Yamina party who have d- deserted and moved to the to the and stole the vote for the left have nowhere to return to and yeah. uh, and and it's and so this is why Naftali will have no power whatever. What can he do? He cannot if he if he now dismantles this government and goes to election he will be swept out. He doesn't even pass the threshold for entering the Knesset. So they've got it. He's a hostage. So it's not just a numerical balance between the factions. It's no. that he has nowhere to back to. There's only a precipice. You say precipice behind him. Precipice. A precipice. Precipice yeah, behind well, he, him. I mean the the yeah. No, you're right. I I just wanted to say where this is going. I mean, you know, like because we have we just we have another about 15 minutes left, and I wanted to devote it to what this all means for Israel because um, it means certain very important things. You do, know, for do we what's have to talk about this? Well, it's kind of important. It is our national yeah, survival I and guess, all that. I guess you know. it's you know it's but, some you Israelis survive many times by blocking things out. <laughs> at, at good times, we block out dangers. And, you know, Ben-Gurion was amazingly brave when he declared independence in the face, uh, without an army, in the face of regular armies all around us. So you have to you have to make this leap of faith. But now it's not a leap of faith. This is just a, it's a leap into the depressive abyss. It's just, it's just, it. you know, if I, I was, I, I didn't tweet that, but I thought if these were biblical times, then then I would say that God is not only punishing the people of Israel, he's doing it by mocking them, by humiliating them with putting at the head of the government these two clowns, Naftali Bennett and Yaila people whose words don't mean anything, people who are complete lightweights, who are, who are you know, Naftali Bennett wrote a book. This is just, a, I'll, I'll, I'll give this, this example and I'll pass the torch to you. Um, because he wrote this book in the midst of the corona pandemic. It's called How to Defeat a Pandemic. And this okay. is just a demonstration of the, 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 the unbelievable divergence between what this guy thinks he can do and what he actually knows and can do. Because he wrote this arrogant book and he was telling everyone what to do. And the Germans followed exactly this model. So where are the Germans now with their huge death rate? And where is Naftali? And he was going to write. He he. His plan was to ride to the prime minister's office on on, on this issue that the pandemic is the only thing that's important, and we'll put the all the rest on hold on the back burner. And now the pandemic is gone because we didn't listen to Naftali Bennett. We did, we listened to Netanyahu, and now we defeated the pandemic. So he moved to saying, okay, now only economy works. We all matters. We have to get back to work. Only economy matters. Forget all the ideological stuff. And then he formed the government, and his party didn't take any of the economic portfolios. Nothing. Just nothing. It's just astounding how this, how, how n- nothing has meaning in what these people say. No, nothing. And by the way, the funny thing about his crappy pr- plan for beating the pandemic and his economic plan, which he liked to call the Singapore plan, he plagiarized both of them from the strategic advisor who he didn't pay, and then he didn't give him credit for his work. And the guy is now, and the guy is now threatening to sue uh, Naftali, and he's demanding a quarter of a million uh, shekels, which is about 
I don't know, $75,000 in, uh, 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 in back payment for his work, which Natalie stole. So, I mean, it, it's just so ridiculous. Not only does he not care about anything, but he stole the things that he claimed he cared about from somebody else who thought that he was going to get paid for his work. So, I mean, this guy's a complete charlatan and also a buffoon but we do have to talk about are they by the way you know just in regards to he's got no exit plan you know he's got no exit strategy from what he's done my golan this liquid uh, member of Knesset's young woman she called uh, naftali and giron sar uh, suicide bombers and oh can you call them suicide bombers but they are they're like kamikaze pilots right i mean they don't have any way to get home and and that's why you know part of the question of how long this government is going to last for is how many members of their factions are, 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 are joined with them in this suicide pact. You know, how committed are the members of their crappy factions that just turn their backs on everything that they claim they stood for throughout their entire careers. Right. And, and from childhood, really, how much are these, these jerks who are with them in the Knesset, uh, committed to dying along with them for 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 this government that's going to do what is going to be pushing very very far left wing policies. So, for instance, and just to go back for a second to the comparison to the last government, Neftali made the claim, his stake for legitimacy in stealing his uh, his voters' uh, votes and and forming this government that's completely dominated by the left, the far left, and this Islamist party that's holding onto them, that has them by the throat because they can leave any time that they don't get their way, because they don't care, it's no skin off their back. They have, they, they have, um, they, uh, they, they have to figure out what they're going to do as a government policy. So Netanyahu's government, right, they had sort of parity between the right and the left, but most of the power of actual governing remained in Netanyahu's hands so that, for instance, he was able to carry out diplomacy despite the fact that the foreign ministry was controlled by Gabi Ashkenazi from uh, from the Blue and White Party, which is a left-wing party. He was able to continue to maintain everything related to Iran um, despite the agreement, so that the default position was that Netanyahu was steering the ship. Right here, it's the exact opposite. Because of the massive numerical superiority and the political power imbalance between Naftali and Yair Lapid, Yair Lapid is carrying out the day-to-day uh, work of governance. And so here, I think you know what's important is he gave his maiden uh, speech to the foreign ministry yesterday, I believe it was, and he talked about uh, the goals of his diplomacy. So he said... Uh, you know, more or less that, I mean, just to sort of paraphrase what he said, he said in so many words, look, if we want to have any leverage over the Americans and the Biden administration is going back to the Iran nuclear deal, which is going to give Iran a nuclear arsenal within nine years, guaranteed, you know, with the legitimacy, uh, with a, you know, good housekeeping seal of approval of the UN Security Council, right? So this is going to happen. And if we want to have any leverage, any influence whatsoever over them as they're enabling this existential threat to take form and also to take control over the entire Middle East with all the money that they're going to get from sanctions relief, um, we have to make concessions on the Palestinians. So what he's saying is in order to have any 
influence. And of course, he never measures what that influence is going to be. Will the Biden administration reverse course on Iran if Israel agrees to sit down and negotiate whatever with the Palestinians? Um, I doubt it. You know, this is their policy and they're going forward with it. They don't care. So it's not even clear what influence he's talking about. What could Israel, what would Israeli influence do to the Biden administration? Because the entire policy has to be abandoned in order for the Biden administration to not uh, endanger Israel's very existence, right? And so is he suggesting that uh, somebody in the Biden administration Blinken, Biden himself, anybody, Robert Malley said to him, look, if you guys start having negotiations with the PLO, uh, we're going to we're going to actually, you know, take action, uh, military, economic to bring down the regime to end Iran's nuclear uh, program. Of course not. There's absolutely no chance that that happened. Right. So he's offering us something in exchange for something else. He's making linkage which is the thing that Netanyahu fought successfully, but fought ferociously for over 20 years to block. He's accepting, embracing linkage between the Palestinians and Iran towards the United States. And he's saying, we're going to make concessions on the Palestinians in the hope that they'll make concessions on Iran. But it's clear that they will make, that any concessions that they may make towards Israel are not going to have any impact on their overall policy. And their overall policy is horrible for Israel. So that's one aspect of it. And then the other aspect of it is, what's your policy on the Palestinians? You know, uh, they have, like I said, this is a very, very radical left-wing government on everything related to the Palestinians. You have people here who, you know, support uh, the boycott, sanctions, and divestment uh, movement against Israel, which is an anti-Semitic movement. You have, you know, in the U.S. State Department, accepts that this is an anti-Semitic movement to demonize and to and to isolate and to turn into a pariah, not only Israel, but anybody who does business with Israel. It's sort of a replacement of the Arab boycott with with this uh, with this boycott. And it's the same thing. And, and the U.S. outlawed the outlawed U.S. firms from uh, from participating in the Arab boycott in 1977. So here, you know, they have laws on the book banning this. And you have members of the Israeli government who support it. You have uh, Americans, again, who support Israel, and they look at this beautiful rainbow coalition that is the Israeli government with nine women and two Arabs, and one of the women is black, and one of the women is is uh, is wheelchair-bound. And they say, look at this beautiful government. Look at this multicultural government. Look at all of this. Look at all of that. But what they don't realize, and, and this the, the fact that you have two Arabs, you know, Elias Fredge in the Merits Party, which is an anti-Zionist party or a post-Zionist party, and then you have Mansour Abbas, who's the head of the anti-Zionist Islamist party that we've discussed uh, many times over the past several weeks. And I was thinking maybe we should see if they're they're friendly or not. And they've clearly come out of the closet. There's no doubt that they are an, a Muslim Brotherhood party. They are not friendly. Um, but everybody says, see... His participation, the Ram, the Islamist party participation in the government and Elias Fredge as a minister in this government, that's going to prove to all of these AOC types, all of these Ilhan Omar types, that it's ridiculous to accuse Israel of being an apartheid regime, except both Elias Fredge and Mansour Abbas, who are walking, talking, living, breathing proof that Israel is not an apartheid state, accuse Israel of being an apartheid state. So... You know, the whole thing is absurd. You cannot 
you know, reason somebody out of something that they weren't reasoned into. These people seek to demonize the Jewish state because they want to annihilate it. They don't care if it's true or not. They use the epithet apartheid or racist or whatever, not because it's true, but because it's effective. It's effective in securing their goal, which is to delegitimize the very existence of a Jewish state. And so the idea that any of these people who epitomize uh, ex exactly what Israel has been fighting against all these years, and they are now government ministers in this in this government that's ostensibly run by an ostensible prime minister from the right. It's a lie on top of a lie on top of a lie, but all of these lies enable the advancement of an anti-Zionist policy, of uh, suicidal foreign policies regarding both Iran and uh, the Palestinians, by this government, which again, exists without the approval of the public. And in fact, in the face of a very clear position stated by the voters at the ballot box in March. So, you know, this is, this is the abyss, right? And I think the only way to walk it back, to walk away from this abyss is to think about how to bring down this government. And so maybe if we want to take the last couple of you know, two minutes of our program to talk about a happy concept that maybe this horrible government won't last long. Do you want to give me some sense of what you think about I, that? I, 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 I can say that I completely understand why, though, of course, I do not approve of their idea to freeze legislation for now, because whenever this, whenever this government is going to move on anything, we will discover that it's an impossible amalgamation of the extreme left and the extreme right uh, in some aspects, and, and it just cannot work. So I, I think there are even, even Naftali Bennett and his minions are, are not going to be able to swallow everything that uh, Mansour Abbas or Merav Michaeli um, uh, want. Just, just a... Or, or there, there, there can be frictions on the left side of this government too, because you know, uh, Mansour Abbas is not exactly supportive of the gay pride parades. So there, m many frictions lie ahead, and I think it's going to be paralyzed. So the question is, will this government meet any challenge? Because if it meets any serious challenge, then I don't think it can survive it. I think you may or may not, I, I, I'd like to believe you're right. And I think there's one thing that, that, that leads me to think you are. And there's one thing that makes, that leads me to think that you're not. So first, the thing that makes me, cause I want to end on a happy note. So the thing that may, leads me to think that you're wrong is that in 2009, in 2006, Hezbollah, first Gaza, uh, the Hamas attacked us from Gaza. They attacked a, a tank. Uh, a, a tank uh, a crew that was on the border, on the Israeli side of the border with Gaza. They killed three of the soldiers and they kidnapped another one named Gilad Shalit and they brought him to Gaza and they started attacking Israel uh, with missiles. And then about 10 days into this exchange of fire between Israel and Hamas and Gaza, uh, Hezbollah opened uh, attacks against Israel in the north in what later became known as the Second Lebanon War. And the prime minister at the time, Ehud Olmert, the chief of staff at the time, Don Khalutz, and the defense minister at that time, uh, uh, Amir Peretz, as well as the foreign minister at that time, Tzipi Livni, were the most incompetent leaders Israel has ever had in time of war of any sort. They're, they incompetently led 
the forces to battle. They gave them terrible instructions. They had no clear uh, operational goals uh, from the military perspective. They had no clear uh, uh, strategic goals from the perspective of the government. Sipi Livni nearly gave Hezbollah veto power over Israeli actions in Lebanon because she was that stupid in working with Condoleezza Rice at the time in the UN Security Council. I mean, it was a complete and utter disaster. So after the war ended, um, at great cost to the country, there was a mass public outcry against these leaders, and specifically three of them, Omer, Khalutz, and Peretz, demanding that they resign and demanding new elections. And it seemed at the time that it was very likely that the public pressure, which was overwhelming, was going to lead to new elections. But you had the media swoop in, Raviv Drucker, who you've mentioned, who's a major propagandist and extremely powerful voice on the left, and uh, Eli Eliezer Shraga, who's the head of the Israel Democracy Institute, okay. Eliad Shraga. Names, Eliad Shraga, which as, as the name suggests is a Stalinist organization. And so they managed to instead deflect public attention or demand for uh, elections to a fake public demand for a commission of inquiry into the war. Nobody cared. Everybody knew what happened. We saw it all. We experienced it all. We didn't need experts to tell us what happened and where responsibility lay. It was obvious from watching the news every day or from running to shelters if you lived anywhere near the north of the country or you were the parents of soldiers who were killed. Everybody knew exactly what had happened and nobody... Um, and nobody cared. And they were able to deflect that into this commission of inquiry, which ended up lasting for two years before it ended. So that didn't do anything. Net, uh, uh, Omer remained in power, unapologetic for what he had done. Today, he claims that the Second Lebanon War was the greatest military victory in Israeli history. And he says it with a straight face. And he wrote about it in his idiotic book that he wrote from prison. And so that's one thing. And then on the other hand, the good thing, and the reason why I do have some hope is that the head of the opposition is none other than Benjamin Netanyahu. And, you know, I think he is, he is obviously not only the most popular politician in Israel, he's also extremely competent. And the opposition that he leads has 52 members, and they are very angry, and they are very dedicated to bringing down this government. So I think that to the extent that anybody would be in a position to place just sort of impossible pressure on uh, members of this government to to run away or for the government to crumple into itself, I think that uh, we do have the best leader of the opposition for that role. But, you know, it, it, it's, very, it's anybody's guess how long this thing lasts and how much damage they're going to be able to accomplish uh, before they're gone. So uh, that's our uh, happy uh, note, right? Yeah, I have another happy note. At least there'll oh, be a lot of laughs. It's so ridiculous and so grotesque that there it'll be it'll be it'll also be funny if you're inclined to black humor. That is, well, if it's dark humor, you know, you just have to make sure that you don't give me too many jokes before I'm supposed to fall asleep because it just I gotta get to sleep, man. I just no, and I and I, I don't remember I don't remember being so depressed since being on the left. Then Netanyahu was elected in '96. <laughs> and just goes I, was, to show. I was skipping through the halls of the defense ministry i was in the army at the time and his slogan was with a friend of mine and everybody was in mourning it was like they were sitting shiva because netanyahu had just beaten their their lord and master shimon paris and uh so <laughs> we were skipping literally through the hallway 
of the defense ministry, myself and a colleague of mine, singing Netanyahu's campaign jingle. Netanyahu, Asim Shalom, Batuah. Oh, we're going to make peace, but it's going to be safe, you know? So we're we're dancing through the hallways, singing it, and everybody. But this is just to say that the wheel keeps turning. And and if, yeah, you know. One day you're up. The next day you're down. Two thousand years you're in exile, and then the next day you have Zionism. So don't despair yet. We have thousands of years ahead. Anyway, I lost my earpiece, so that probably is a sense (laughs) that that, that's like the final final thing that we have to say. Okay, uh, Carolyn's (laughs) lost her earphone, so we're gonna just tell you all subscribe (laughs) to our channels on Rumble. That's exactly what I said. Uh, Oh, you just said it, and I didn't hear you. (laughs) But but I'll <laughs> add that don't forget to press the little bell button because then you get push notifications. Yeah, it was a pleasure. A at least we find some solace in this discussion, which at least you vent some. Yeah, and ventilate. And, and knowledge is power. Don't forget that, guys. If we want to win this battle in the war of ideas, then we need to keep informed. So Gadi and I will be back next week. And hopefully we'll have better news. And if we don't, we'll at least explain why we're so sad in in what I hope is both illuminating and and not utterly miserable way. So Jews, we'll talk to you Jews, next week. real Jews, unlike woke people, never lose their sense of humor and never think there is something you shouldn't be laughing about. Well, you know, look, you're talking next. to the the mother of the only right wing satire program Israel has ever seen, and we were the funniest program ever seen. <laughs> it was a pleasure. All right, we'll talk to you next week. Bye, guys.